Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. It is day three of the NFL draft. Still not officially done yet. Uh, still some work to be done for the Seahawks. They still have one pick left, the 20th pick in the second round. But they are through their sixth round pick, just made the choice at 198. I'm not going to be able to stick around long enough to see uh, or at least react to their pick in the seventh round. So we'll have to do that with a full draft recap on Monday. Just a programming note about that. I will be having... Keith Myers and Bill Alfstad of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast joining me Monday evening for a full draft recap. We'll take a look at the whole class and and uh, we should know most, if not all, of the uh, reported undrafted free agent names by then too. We can break some of that down and uh, kind of look at the roster as a whole. Uh, initial thoughts before I get into kind of going through prospect by prospect today and uh, breaking down what the Seahawks did on this Saturday is <sighs> that's my initial reaction, right? Huge sigh of relief. As I said yesterday, and even after the first round, we knew going into this draft that the, the most glaring needs on this roster were in the trenches. And we didn't just know it. There was no disconnect between what the fan base wanted and what John Schneider and Pete Carroll wanted. They said from the very beginning of the offseason, when Pete Carroll used the San Francisco 49ers defensive line as, as a reference point and name dropped Bosa and Armstead and those guys, that we just weren't good enough up front last year. That's why they struggled against the run and sometimes in, in the pass rush. And they needed to get tougher on the interior offensive line as well. But they mostly focused on the defensive line. And then they released two-thirds, basically, of what we thought was a pretty talented and solid defensive line group last year. Just needed to maybe have another player or two with some dynamic upside added to it. And they released Shelby Harris and Poon. Well, they didn't re-sign Puna Ford as a free agent. They released Quentin Jefferson. They released Al Woods. And then the first round of the draft, they take a corner and a receiver. Second round of the draft, they take an edge player and a running back. So as I said on the show last night, we had to go to bed last night feeling like the Seahawks kind of painted themselves into a corner. It didn't help, at least as far as my confidence went. Not that I lost confidence, but it was... It was a little shakier last night than before just because of how uncertain this draft board was. John Schneider talked about it last night in the press conference that in all of his time, he's never seen a board this unpredictable. There was a tweet today uh, from one of the guys, it might've been Daniel Jeremiah, but one of the national guys that there are guys being taken in the fourth round this year that were rated as undrafted free agents. There are guys that we have routinely mocked in these simulators as second or third round picks that have still not been drafted today as I sit here and talk to you now. One of the things John Schneider's known for in almost a legendary level is having his finger on the pulse of the rest of the league. Knowing what other teams are going to do and when to strike on a certain player. He said at the beginning of the draft, we had an order set up 
And I think what we saw yesterday, I think they felt like there were a couple of impact defensive line players, one or two perhaps, that they had their eye on yesterday that they thought would be available at their picks. And that gave them the flexibility to just take best player available on in round one. To take Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20 instead of Miles Murphy, who went a little bit later. Or some of those other interior, bigger edge defenders that we all wanted to see them add. And so when he talked yesterday about upsets happening, it was a little bit deflating. But I also said yesterday, and I meant it, and, 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 I, and I stood by it, that there was enough depth in this draft of guys that could come in and help as rookies and also with long-term starter upside that the opportunity still existed. They just had to nail it. The margin for error as we woke up today and turned on the draft was much thinner than it was 24 hours ago and certainly 48 hours ago. They had to get today right. And man, oh man, do I think they got today right. Um, it'll be interesting to, to share my shadow draft with you when the process is all done, where I, any, every time the Seahawks have been on the clock, I have chosen who I would take in that spot. And we'll compare the two classes when all is said and done. And as I sit here today through six rounds, I'm not sure. I'm not sure my draft is better. Even though I started out, I think you'll see later when it happens, I, I started out in a way that I think most of you wanted us to, expected us to, and would have done if it was you. But now we're starting to get, and, and I started talking about this weeks ago on the show, and yet I still sometimes, sometimes when emotions get involved and the heart gets involved, sometimes the head takes a back seat. And that was starting to happen to me last night and into today, where as much as I love each individual player they've taken in this draft, I questioned the process yesterday. I questioned the risk of waiting and pinning yourself and reducing that margin of error. But after what they did today, I don't know that there's many scenarios I would have been more excited about. I'll just say this because I want to get it out of the way and we're going to talk about it ad nauseum over the next few months and years probably. Ultimately, this draft in some ways, fairly or unfairly, is going to be judged based on what kind of player Jalen Carter becomes. The Seahawks aren't the only team that's going to be judged by that. The Raiders may be, the Cardinals may be, the, the Lions may be, the Falcons, the Texans. But if Jalen Carter becomes a dominant year-after-year force, an all-pro, and some of the guys in this Seahawks draft class don't fulfill their potential, then, then sure, you can look back and say they made a mistake. But I think what they've done as a whole, I don't want to get too much into this. I just kind of want to focus on what they did today. We're going to talk about the big picture. It's mostly what we're going to talk about over the next three months. Uh I think as they sit here today, they have fortified their roster with yet another layer, very similar to what we saw last year, a layer of young players that fit this scheme with dynamic upside, A-plus character across the board, junkyard dog mentality, football passion, 
at just about every position group to now you look forward to this year, 24, 25, and you can start to see, okay, they're not going to be painted into a corner next year or the year after. And suddenly that need that I talked about yesterday to, to try to juggle the salary cap a little bit, get creative, do some things that John Schneider doesn't typically like to do so that you can bring back some free agents to plug holes because you weren't able to address them in this draft. I don't know that that's as big a need now as we sit here today. We'll see. But let's get into exactly what they did today. So first of all, up until this point, they have stuck and picked at every spot. No trades today for the Seahawks at all. There was the trade yesterday to move down from 83 to 108. And there were a lot of questions about that last night that I got on Twitter. And uh, if you didn't hear that, I'll just say this, that the value, when you look at all the trade charts and the trade calculators, the value of moving down that far for the Seahawks typically would be about a sixth round pick. Yet Denver was willing to give us a third next year in a draft that even John Schneider admitted yesterday in a question that when it was asked, I thought typically he would be evasive about. Hey, John, did you, t- did you get that pick last year? Because next year's scene is a much stronger draft because of all the kids that stayed in school this year. Yep. And even went a step further and said, we wanted one of our goals in this draft was to eat into or to get into next year's draft a little bit. They did that with a third round pick. So they were able to do that. And I'm not sure, and we'll look at it here in a minute because I haven't until this point. So we'll kind of do this analysis live. I'm not sure a player was picked between 83 and 108 that I'm going to regret. So here's what they did so far today. Uh, With their first fourth round pick, uh, which was the fifth pick in the draft, uh, or I'm sorry, the sixth pick in the round today, Anthony Bradford out of LSU. We know he was a pre-draft meeting, came out for a top 30 visit. Uh, guard out of LSU, 6'4", 332, big dude, 22 years old. Dane Brugler had him at, at his, as his sixth best guard. It's great value in the fourth. Here's what Brugler had to say. Overall, Bradford offers tackle experience. He's played both tackles, but he is at his best in confined, in confined quarters where he can trust his wide frame and he moves bodies with sheer force. Although he might not be ready from the get-go, he offers intriguing NFL potential that can be cultivated. Tested better than expected at the combine for a dude his size. One year of starting experience, only 22 years old, uh, but the consensus on this guy seems to be a mauler, really physical, and a much better athlete than expected for a size. He did say in his interview today that the Seahawks have told him that he will compete at right guard with Phil Haynes and that that's where he feels most comfortable. And then they finally get to the defensive line with their second pick in the fourth round. Cameron Young, defensive tackle out of Mississippi State. Yet another top 30 visit. 6'3", 304, 22 years old. Brugler has him as his 13th best defensive tackle. Says he's a heavy, upright mover, which will limit his ability to make plays on the football, but his forceful punch and balance through contact are NFL traits. He has a two-gapping, um, he has two-gapping traits to provide immediate depth as a nose or play head up over the tackle. PFF, Pro Football Focus, says one of the longer defensive tackle prospects in the class. Two-gapping potential in the run game. Gives offensive lineman fits when he locks out his arms, and he has upside that hasn't been tapped into yet as a pass rusher. 
Young says he'll, uh, the Seahawks have told him that he'll play some nose tackle and five techni technique and three technique. He can move up and down the line. Uh, Peter Schrager on the NFL Network broadcast said this, that he got a text from an AFC general manager who said, Young is stout, old school, from a different era, and a tough you-know-what. Uh, I think if he had said tough SOB, Schrager would have said that. So I think he meant tough MFR. <laughs> Try to keep it clean today. Then in the fifth round with their first pick, the Seahawks had two picks in a four-pick range in the fifth round. They start out with Mike Morris, defensive end, Michigan. 6'5", 295. You'll see him listed at 275, but he said in his interview with local press after the pick that he's already bulked up to, to 295 because the Seahawks said he should add weight when they met with him at the combine. He played it near 290 last year. Uh, didn't have a great combine. Some of his testing numbers were okay, but if you remember, this guy really struggled in some of the bag drills. He fell down one time. Didn't really look like a natural mover, but... He, if you've listened to the show for a while, he was one of my draft crushes from early in the process. Not twitchy, not that guy, but powerful. And as we were looking through this throughout the process for three, four defensive end types, Morris was one of the, the guys on that short list. Brugler says, overall, Morris doesn't currently rush with savvy and needs to broaden his assortment of moves. Brandon Jordan hired his pass rush specialist for the Seahawks. Remember, I keep referencing that. But he is a nimble-footed power rusher with the scheme-diverse traits to be a sound run defender. He has the talent to be a rookie rotational end with NFL starting upside. So after making us sweat over the first three rounds about the run defense, the Seahawks go out and they take two guys in their first three picks today that are seen as rookie contributors against the run with pass rush upside, powerful, strong players up front. So that goal of getting bigger, stronger, tougher, longer, and more dynamic up front, especially when you factor in Draymond Jones as a free agent signing and Jaron Reed and Miles Adams. Now you're talking. Now you're putting something together. Still not done. Don't want to go into training camp with that group. And Pete Carroll said last night, hey, we're not done. We're still looking into free agency. I think there still will be some additions there. But do you feel a little better about that? And then uh, one of my favorite moments today, um, outside of the fact that, I, that I've loved Mike Morris for a long time, uh, is I then tweeted, hey, why don't we just go with another Michigan Wolverine and turn right around three picks from now and take... Uh, Ola Shagan, Ola Watimi out of Michigan. And they did just that. The center out of Michigan, 6'3", 309. Brugler has him as their uh, his seventh best center. A lot of people had him in their top five. Pro Football Focus has him rated as their top four center, which is easy to see. Michael Thompson has talked about him at length on this show going back a couple of months when we did our first mock draft in February as one of his top centers. Didn't allow a sack last year in the Big Ten. Four-year starter. Over 40 starts. Uh, PFF, I think I mentioned this, had him as their fourth best center. Cites his football IQ as one of his strengths. Outstanding, identifying where to go and getting to the second level. Brugler says, overall, Oluwatimi doesn't have the position versatility. He did struggle in the senior bowl when they tried him out at guard. 
doesn't have the position versatility, explosiveness, or point of attack power that most NFL teams desire, but he's a cerebral assignment sound blocker with A-plus character. This is what you read a lot in his scouting reports. If he doesn't have anyone initially that he needs to take care of, he looks to help his guards. He can identify where to go on the second level. He gets to angles. He's experienced. You can see over the last few years, the Seahawks have started to value more than ever big school experience, players that have played in big moments, in big games, and played a lot of football. They've got Evan Brown. So Ola Watimi doesn't have to start right away. But remember, Brown can play center and guard. And now suddenly, you take Bradford, who's a guy that scouting reports make it sound like might need a year to really be ready. But you have that flexibility where if Ola Watimi comes to camp and proves that he's head and shoulders the best center, deserves to start as a rookie, Evan Brown can play guard. And at the dollar figure that he signed at, I think it was two and a half million. Maybe Evan Brown doesn't start day one. Maybe it's Olawatimi and Phil Haynes and Evan Brown gives you a really, really good veteran backup at both spots. Something we have sorely lacked in the last couple of years. The drop off for this team from, first of all, starting center just hasn't been addressed to the level that we all have wanted it to be for years. But the drop-off from starter to backup has been immense. And then they just taken the sixth round, another safety. Jarek Reed, the second out of New Mexico. 5'10", 196. I've already seen some stuff on Twitter. Oh, sure, the Seahawks take another safety. Hey, look, this kid has a lot of interesting traits. And he's a, he's a very sensible pick in the sixth round. A lot of times teams target guys in the sixth, seventh round that can play special teams. And this guy fits that mold as well. He was another top 30 visit. We're going to have to really pay attention to that list as we move ahead in the next couple of years, right? 5'10", 196, 30, another, another guy with experience, 39 career starts, seven career interceptions, 29 passes defensed. In 2021, he led his entire team in tackles. Last year, he led the team in forced fumbles. Brugler, Reed has the athletic versatility and toughness to play nickel. That's key. Seahawks like that kind of versatility, but accelerating with the burst to close on routes and in the run game. He has the range and tackling skills to play over the top as a single high safety. He's well built for his frame, but his stature will show versus larger frame receivers. Overall, he needs to put a higher premium on attacking field leverage, but he has the aggressive read and react skills to play fast, regardless of depth on defense and special teams. Sounds like a Seahawks player. Sounds like a guy who's, I would slot in ahead of Joey Blunt already. Might project as a guy who could be a long-term free safety, but also play some nickel like Julian Love. Overall, without knowing what they're going to do in the seventh round, of course, they have, I think they have hit it out of the park. I really do. Uh, Right now, initially, my first flush, I'd give what they've done to this point an A. They have addressed huge needs in a balanced way all with players that have tons of experience playing. They all have starter upside. They all have traits that indicate there's more to the story. They've all played, as I said, big school, big time starting experience. They all have a plus character and football passion. The Seahawks have identified a type and they're jamming that locker room full of that type. Remember for years there, when and, and during these years, I don't think it's a coincidence, John Schneider was criticized for some poor drafts between 14 and let's say 20. What did we see a lot during that time? 
a lot of small school projects, a lot of position conversions, right? He said going into this draft, best player available, pick good players. Now, in a perfect world, you say best player available, but you also have a plan and you think, as he said, they had an order. You think things are going to fall a certain way. They got thrown some curveballs. We may never know who those players were. Sometimes those things leak out. Last year, we found out that they took Boye Mafe, but they really wanted um, uh, Abita Kede. Is that how you pronounce that? The kid from Penn State who went to Atlanta right before us last year. So they pivoted to Boye Mafe. But sometimes those things work out. Remember, 2012, in the second round, the Seahawks wanted Michael Kendricks, inside linebacker out of Cal. Philly picked him right before us. You could see it on the war room camera. Schneider was disappointed, the visible disappointment on his face. Arms crossed, looking up at the TV, mounted up high. Remember it like it was yesterday. So they went to their second choice, kid named Bobby Wagner. That turned out okay, didn't it? Uh, what's missing? What can they still do? What needs to be done in the seventh round or undrafted free agency? And we're going to look at best available here in a minute. And I think you'll get kind of excited because even with like 30 something picks remaining, um, there's going to be a lot of really attractive undrafted free agents. A lot of players that had draftable grades that we've been taking in mock drafts in the fourth and fifth round for months are going to be undrafted. And I think the the Seahawks have, have positioned themselves to be an attractive destination for those players because a, how many young players are on their roster and also just the lack of bodies in their roster. Again, going into Thursday, they only had 52 signed players in their off season program. That's about 20 to 25 players less than they normally have this time of year. So they're going to come out of this draft with what they stuck at 10 players, right? They're going to end up with 10 players. So they're going to have 62 under contract instead of the normal 75, 77. That's attractive to undrafted free agents. There's opportunities here. Uh, linebacker. They haven't taken a linebacker yet. We've, we wanted them to address inside linebacker because there are questions about Bobby Wagner at his age and, and Devin Bush coming off um, a year in which he was kind of benched in Pittsburgh at the end of the year. And some questions about his lack of explosiveness after the injury a few years ago. Um, but I'll say this, first of all, there's a bunch of guys left and we'll take a look at that. And this is a position that you can often, and the Seahawks have a history of doing it. Uh, Austin Calitro is a guy that comes to mind, uh, that you can address that in undrafted free agency. Um, but Schneider made sure, uh, Schneider and Carroll made sure to name drop John Radigan and Vi Jones last night. Vi Jones, the undrafted free agent, uh, last year and John Radigan, the kid out of army coming off the ACL two years ago. Um, you know, they tendered Radigan a contract, wanted to bring him back. Let Tanner Muse go. They really feel like Radigan could be a contributor. And Vi Jones really flashed in the preseason last year. Thought he was a little undersized at inside linebacker. Carroll made sure to tell us yesterday that he's up to 235. He's added 10 pounds. And that they he was asked a follow-up question, is he inside or outside? They strictly answered, he is an inside backer for us. So there's a couple of guys on the roster already that they like. And this was widely considered as a weak inside linebacker class. I had safeties listed here, but that was before they took Jarek Reed. Uh, I'd like to see someone that can return kicks. Um, Deuce Vaughn is still available as I hit record. We'll see if that remains. You know, I think a, a running back type that can catch passes, uh, be a third down back, 
uh, help in the passing game, be sort of a specialist, but also return kicks or another receiver uh, that has some kick return experience could certainly be something that warrants being added to this roster. Um, and I wouldn't mind one more body of a, you know, a guy that can move around on the defensive line, play different positions. Moro Ajomo was still available as I hit record. We'll, we'll take a look at best available in just a second before I log off. Also, I want to apologize. If you watched my show yesterday, I promised you a, uh, uh, a mock draft at the end of the show. Totally missed it. <laughs> but I posted a bunch of them for you to choose from this morning on Twitter. And so hopefully you enjoyed those. Uh, overall, you know, I think the Seahawks took some chances with what they did in the first three rounds. They did, especially in the first round. There's some risk there. There's always risk in the draft. But picking best player available over obvious need is a risk. Uh, John said last night, the board didn't fall their way in some instances, but I think it really fell their way today. They seemed like they were in command of what they were doing today. And they just let the board fall to them. It reminded me of what the Steelers do and what the Ravens do. And they just stick and wait and pick the best players available. And as it turned out, at the end of the day, they filled some needs. Would you rather have Jalen Carter than Cam Young? Sure. But then you're talking about a fourth-round corner instead of Devin Witherspoon. Would you rather have Miles Murphy instead of Jackson Smith and Jigba at 20? Some of you might. But then you're looking at one of the leftover receivers. And I think, as I sit here today and I look at this list, let's do a little screen share. Uh, for those of you watching the video version, uh, here's the draft list. Devin Witherspoon, best corner in the draft, and an absolute tenacious junkyard dog mentality that I think is going to uplift that secondary. Jackson Smith and Jigba, I believe the most dynamic receiver in this class and a guy that could be a pro bowler as a slot. Uh, Derek Hall, A-plus character, leader, strong, edge setter, good against the run, but also has some pass rush upside. Zach Charbonnet, the third best running back in the draft, perfect compliment to Ken Walker. Could you have gotten a similar running back later? We'll take a look at my shadow draft in a couple of days, and I think I addressed that question. Yes. Yes. Are there players there that would have fit, that would have allowed us to go to sleep resting a little easier last night? Yep. But the player's good. And I think when you see a day next year where he and Walker combine for 180 yards and a couple of touchdowns and we grind teams down and we have the five-minute offense to run things out at the end and we're really good in the, end, in the red zone and we have that two-headed monster, I think you're going to forget all about where he was drafted. Then you get into the fourth round, you get a, a mauling guard, uh, an old-school throwback strong, long, uh, strong at the point of attack, nose tackle that can move around and play some five tech also in Cam Young. Mike Morris, another guy that can play five or he can play inside a little bit, just strong. Bull rusher sets the edge. I think their run defense with Hall, Young, and Morris has a lot more upside today than it did this time last year. And Oluwatimi potentially finally got your long-term starting center a guy who can be a captain of that offensive line and really direct things and call the protections and uh, be as good in the run game as, as the passing game. And then Jarek Reed, just another uh, really productive experience center to add to that mix on special teams and in the slot. 
The thing that I really like about what they've done on the offensive line is now when you look at who you play against, right? You look at the NFC West and you look at the defensive lines that we have to go up against and the Aaron Donalds and the Eric Armsteads and the, and then, and then Nick Bosa's and the things that they're going to be doing there in, in Arizona. And they just weren't strong enough up the middle. Once teams realized that second half of last season, that's where they attacked us. They attacked Austin Blythe and Gabe Jackson. And when Gino had trouble the last third of the year last year, it was within inside pressure. I think we positioned ourselves with the selections of Bradford, Oluwatimi, and Charbonnet of being a much more physical, tough inside running team that can also hold up at the point of attack against the pass rush. Uh, I feel really good about it. Let's look at some best remaining now as we sit here right now. We'll look at this live on ESPN. And again, are we we are not quite into the seventh round uh, as I record this. And so 35-ish picks left, 35 to 40 picks, uh, depending on comp picks, left in the draft. Look at this running back group. Dwayne McBride, a guy that Corbin Smith really loves. Zach Evans, uh, who was expected to go much higher. Kenny McIntosh didn't blow the doors off the combine, but a, an outstanding two-way running back that can also catch the ball really well in the backfield. Keaton Mitchell, a guy the Seahawks had in for a visit. Undersized, but incredibly explosive. 5'8", 179. Really, really quick, really fast. And they met with him. Sean Tucker, another guy out of Syracuse, who has some size to him. 5'9", 207, but he can also hit the home run. Uh, Mohammed uh, Ibrahim out of Minnesota, a lot of, lot of miles on the tires, but a very, very, very productive runner at Minnesota, ran for 2,000 yards last year. Uh, so a lot of depth there. Tavian Thomas, a bigger power back. Travis Dye, a guy coming off an injury, but who we know from Oregon um, and has been a productive runner. So lots of Lots of value there. Some of those guys are certainly going to be available in undrafted free agency. Uh, you look at the wide receiver group, just to see if there's maybe some return guys left there. Ronnie Bell out of Michigan, really good, solid, uh, all-around receiver that the Seahawks met with. Bryce Ford Wheaton, a guy with 4'3 speed at the combine, who's a size speed specimen at 6'4", 220 on a West Virginia, hasn't been drafted yet. Malik Knowles, a guy that somebody on Twitter brought my attention to two months ago, who hasn't been highly rated throughout this entire process. But at 6'2", 196, you look at the tape, and he looks like an NFL wide receiver. So there's some interesting dudes there. Let's look at the linebacker crew. Ivan Pace still hasn't been drafted. The only thing wrong with Ivan Pace Jr. out of Cincinnati is he's 5'11". If he was 6'1", he would have been drafted yesterday. 5'11", 231, defensive player of the game in the Senior Bowl. Uh, Absolute production. Had 160 tackles, I think, last year. Also, off the edge, had a bunch of sacks and tackles for loss. He's a heat-seeking missile. D. Winters, inside linebacker out of TCU. Uh, man, if he's available as an undrafted guy, you do that all day long. My guy, Bumper Poole out of Arkansas. Uh, Drake Thomas out of North Carolina State. Uh, doesn't show up on this list, but ESPN hasn't had him listed. Really productive inside linebacker, good against the run that the Seahawks visited with. He's still available as well. Uh, remember when Andre Carter was widely viewed as an early second round pick out of army because of the traits six, seven, two fifty six. But then he showed up at the senior bowl. Just wasn't very strong. Didn't have any refinement to his game at all. Uh, there's some interesting guys here too. Brenton Cox jr. Out of Florida had some issues off the field, but Michael Thompson really likes him. Uh, Muhammad Diabate, a, uh, uh, 
position conversion guy who's new to playing linebacker at Utah, 6'3", 229, but really rangy and can cover. Uh, Isaiah Land, small school kid out of Florida, A&M, 6'4", 236, another guy with just tons and tons of upside. You know, seventh round's where you can take some lottery tickets, right? Uh, we got, <laughs> they have one long snapper listed, Alex Ward out of UCF. Uh, Seahawks currently don't have a long snapper on their roster. Uh, still some intriguing defensive linemen. Can never have too many of those guys. Jared Clark, the small school kid out of Coastal Carolina at 230, the converted tight end who added a bunch of weight, really athletic for his size. Jalen Redman out of Oklahoma. Moro Ojomo, you've heard me talk about him for months. If if Moro Ojomo falls to us in the seventh round and we take that, and we take him in the seventh round, I'm giving this an A plus and I'm running away with it. 6'3", 292. Uh, one scout says his tape is... Uh, training tape for how to defend the run, but he can move around to play inside and outside. You add him. And I think uh, questions about not addressing the defensive line are gone. Uh, and then you can always add a, defel- a developmental tackle. Uh, a lot of guys are going to like Jackson Kirkland out of Washington, who also can project at guard, even though he's a big dude at six, seven, three, twenty-one. 21. Jake Witt is a guy that I think the Seahawks met with, uh, but really had a good pro day. Um, some good athleticism at six seven three oh two out of Eastern Michigan. Uh, any of the developmental quarterbacks left? Not a lot. Not a lot. There's only three listed here on ESPN. Max Dugan is one of them. He'd be fun. He'd be a great practice squad guy. Great attitude to add to your room. Um, but uh, I'll add another one too out of Utah State. A guy that I've liked since I saw his tape six two two thirty. Logan Bonner. <laughs> out of Utah State, really good arm talent, really, really throws a good ball into some tight windows and has some athleticism to him too. Might be a fun guy to develop. Um, And then what about the tight ends? They haven't tapped into tight end yet. We thought they would. Zach Kuntz, an athletic freak. I think his testing at the Combine was historically good out of Old Dominion, small school guy, 6'7", 255. Really, really interesting if he's still there in the seventh round. Otherwise, all of the, uh, all the name guys at tight end. Uh, are gone. Anyway, that's going to do it. I got to wrap this up and get moving. Uh, but this was fun hanging out with y'all. Um, be looking forward to, uh, the premiere of this video when it shows up on YouTube shortly and your comments there. Um, love the feedback. I'm going to take tomorrow off and, uh, enjoy some sunshine and not check my phone all day long, not think about football throughout the day as much as possible. Um, Although, who am I kidding? I'm going to be checking for undrafted free agents signings, right? Uh, and then Monday, uh, stay tuned for Bill Alfstad and, and Keith Myers of the Playbook uh, Seahawks Playbook Podcast joining me. We'll do a full breakdown and recap. Could be a long one, but it'll be a fun one. Um, we'll see you then. This has been fun. Love what the Seahawks have done. Don't think I could be much happier. Uh, let me know what you think. Let me know what you think in the comments on Twitter or on the video. And uh, let's engage. Uh, Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. And uh, as always, subscribe on your favorite audio-only podcast app. Until Monday, this has been fun. Go Hawks.